sponsor of Sons and Suffers podcast is Organic Climbing. Go to their website, use Sons and Suffers to get a discount on chalk bags, chalk buckets, everything they have on their website. And I will tell you right now, one of the reasons why I love organic is tried and true. Let me tell you, when I am falling from the heavens above on my highball boulder, I trust nothing with my ankles but an organic crash pad. Y'all know I love these things. I ain't gonna trust these things on nobody else. All right, I'm out of here before I go crazy. But holla at your boys because they help this podcast. And yeah, we just trying to make sure it goes around, comes around. All right. Friends and enemies, lovers and haters, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. If you haven't already, please follow, like, and subscribe to Sends and Suffers podcast. Every bit counts and we would love to hear from you. So take a moment to leave a comment. These go a long way and help others know what they're getting into and how good this show is. If this is one of your favorite podcasts, consider becoming a Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you are investing in Sends and Suffers podcast and it's like buying your boy a taco, hanging out and getting to know the good good that is coming your way. Monthly recaps, early show releases, and all the other cool things that we do. Thank you so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcasts. All right, friends and enemies, Carl, the man, the myth, the legend behind Climb Tech. Now, if you do not know Climb Tech, that means you are not in the nitty gritty of the climbing industry. And if you're listening to this podcast, that's not really for you to know. You're here to enjoy. You're here to just ride on this vibe that I'm bringing your way. Now, what is ClimbTech? ClimbTech was the largest manufacturer of climbing bolts, gear, fall protection for a commercial and for climbing. If you've climbed in Mexico, you've climbed anywhere in the United States, you've probably seen them stamped on those hangers and thank you, Lord. Enjoy this episode with Carl, where we talk about his life, his family, his journey, how the business got started and how the business is being reborn. Sweet hallelujah. Enjoy the episode. Nice. So uh, I've wanted to sit down and chat with you for a while. Um, so I'm not going to assume everybody in my podcast knows who you are. So who are you? Where you're from? And what is your long and illustrious cr- cr- uh, connection to the outdoors and rock climbing sport that we love? Well, I was born in Northern California. Um, I started uh, rock climbing when I was 15 years old. Started in 1975. Mm-hmm back when it was considered a fringe sport. Actually, uh, first time I went climb was Castle Rock up in Santa Cruz Mountains. Really awesome uh, sandstone. And uh, I um, have a company, Climb Tech, that I've had for 26 years. Uh, doing mostly, sold uh, some bolting equipment, the removable bolt, things like that, but we moved our business more into the industrial safety. Basically what we did is we took the climbing mentality 
and brought climbing equipment into industrial safety and changed the market, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. So when you and I officially like met in person, bolting out at Inks Ranch, you had mentioned that and it kind of boggled my mind that the two paths have never actually met before. Like it doesn't, it seems, it just seems like natural. Like I always assumed climbing equipment came from industrial safety. I didn't realize industrial safety had never even met the climbing safety mentality. Well, it, it, the interesting thing is, is so I invented a removable bolt and we launched that in 19, uh, 1998. Uh, within two years, this giant concrete company, Seco, a billion dollar company, hit us up saying, hey, we have this rock climber. You got this, this cam that goes in a drilled hole. Can we use it for concrete? So we checked it out. We did it. We developed it, made it a 5,000 pound anchor, kind of looked at the market. And he was, the guy was telling us about fall protection, you know, in the construction industry. So he says, you go check this trade show out. You know, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, it's called the NSC, National Safety Congress. And so I went to this place, it was 2001. And I got there and I started walking around and I'm going, wow, all this stuff is like rock climbing equipment, but it's like 20 years behind times. And I was thinking, you got sewn harnesses. Well, climbers were the first one to sew in harnesses. Climbers are the first ones to come out with carabiners. Climbers are the first one to come out with locking carabiners. Climbers came out with the rope grabs, which came cable grabs. We Climbers created the shock absorbing lanyard. All these things that the fall protection guys use but it's actually the opposite of what you think. It's all developed by climbers. Huh. It's the opposite. But they're like way behind the times. And I saw this and I'm like, wow, we can bring our climbing mentality of aluminum. Everything was steel and heavy and clunky. We said, we'll bring our climbing mentality into this market. Lightweight, alloys, make stuff lighter, more effective, easier to use. And just bring this technology into this market. And that's the direction ClimbTech ended up going. We still, you know, loved climbing and, and did a lot of bolting equipment, but we went in that market and it was, it was a gold mine. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it just catched wildfire. Cause I've been, I remember when you guys came on the scene, like I remember when your website popped up, cause I had just probably started getting into bolting cause big mentor and big friend of mine, Jeremy Collins was just like, yeah, get some bolts, get some equipment. And then like, just get into it, you know? And he and a bunch of other people had given me some advice. And so I was bolting roots at a crag that's not public access anymore. Uh, it's called Paradise on the Brazos right outside of uh, Dallas, Texas. And I remember just like getting on the internet and it was either Europe where I had to buy all my bolts or everywhere else. And then I had called some friends in Austin. I was like, where do you guys get all your stuff? And someone was like, dude, there's this new company that just popped up. Like you got to buy some stuff here. And I remember looking at your website and I thought most of it was this, I was like this, they don't even sell climbing equipment. And then it wasn't until I like went up to the tab, the shop, and then it saw, you know, industrial, whatever it was. And it said sport. And I was like, sport, what? I was like, is there sport? Like, is there industrial sport games now? I was like, I mean, the people ladder race. So I didn't put it past anything. And then all of a sudden it was like Shangri-La then the rest of the website. I was like, Oh, yeah, this makes sense. Now we did pretty well with the bolting stuff. We yeah. dabbled on a few other things, but it never really took off, but we, we definitely stuck to the bolting, but it was a removable bolt. That was everything. Cause yeah. we were selling probably, you know, five to 800 removable bolts a year at the peak, the climbers. Yeah. I and mean, those are first ascenters and stuff. 
I have, I have we, a few of them. But we were selling 60,000 to the construction market. Yeah, that was a 5,000 pound. We made a 10,000 pound, one inch removable bolt. We sold 10,000 of those. A so it was 10, a, it was a, pound? it was a, yes. What is <laughs> the one I have? That's like 5,000. Uh, standard no, it's one. 20, 2,400. Oh yeah. What does that thing, thing look like? Is it it's giant? It's like the one you have at like four times the size. <laughs> and we were selling like 10,000 of those things a year, you know, and these guys will pay $300 for them. Like they won't even bat. Oh, give me 20 of them. Yeah. I mean, are you still selling them? Are they still sold? Yeah, they're still on the market. Wow. So, uh, we got, um, we got bought out a couple of years ago from Warner ladders. You know, if you go to home Depot, all the ladders, they do industrial safety stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they bought us cause they're in, in the fall protection. And, uh, since they bought us, they're doing, they've tripled their sales. So they're oh. doing really well. Oh, I can imagine. Cause we private labeled it. So we would like, we would make these in, in bulk and send them to like 3M and Honeywell and Guardian and all the MSA and these big companies around the world. And we had like 30 companies that we, so we put their logos on there. We put their labels on there. We put their barcodes on there, their instruction manuals all. So, it, so when you open it up and say, oh, this is a 3M removable bolt, but actually it was made by ClimpTech. Oh. And that's how we made all our money was through private label. But now that Warner bought us, they just cut everybody off and now it's all Warner. So they're just, they're just skyrocketing. Yeah. I'm surprised no one did that earlier than did that. So, you know, that I, I want to jump into like the sale and like why that happened and like, you know, what was, what was the reasoning for saying yes to that? But before we dive into that whole world, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about your climbing history. Like where was the, we, t we were briefly talking before you started off climbing at Castle Rock. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your climbing journey and like really like everyone, I think everyone who loves climbing, like gets into it, but there's usually, I find like a pinnacle moment or a pinnacle thing that connects with you that made you keep doing it because a lot of people rock climb, especially nowadays, but yeah. like people who like, there are people who social rock climb. There are people who climb for fitness sakes. And then there are people who climb who are just like insane. Like you and I, who are just like, I, our identity is wrapped up around in it. And like, what made you like take the pivot and take the turn to actually like do that? So this guy moved in, I was in San Jose. This guy moved in, I was 15. He moved in this, we live in a track house and he moved in, he was 16 years old and he lived, you know, a couple houses down and you know, they come over to my house. My bus, bus stop was in front of my house for years. And hey, how's it doing? You know, nice meeting you. And, you know, a couple of days later, whatever. You know, come out of my house. So I went over to his house and he had like ropes and carabiners and stuff. And I was like, wow, what is this? And he goes, oh, I'm a rock climber. And I go, oh, you got to take me. I want to go. I want to go. So he, he's the one who took me. He had a car. So he drove me up to Castle Rock and he taught me how to rock climb. And at that point, I was in the baseball. And at that point, the baseball glitch right in the garbage can. So wow. Just, you you remember was, this person's name? Steve Gibbs. Steve Gibbs. Steve Gibbs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and I, w I, I was just hooked. I mean, I was just like, oh, this is the most amazing thing. And um, so I, I, I loved it so much. And by the time I was 16, so I was in high school and I always took summer classes. So my, mm -hmm. my high school was sort of like a junior college. So we had a lot of periods. So like every 30 minutes a class started all day long. So you could build up all these credits. Uh -huh. So I was doing summer school. I was doing work experience. I was racking up my, my credits and everything. So I, 
I was able to, when I was 16, almost 17, I got a job at a Western Mountaineering in San Jose. They do a lot of sleeping bags and stuff. Yeah, a lot of people I, know who they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When no, I, I like, remember selling their I products. I was stuffing down in, in sleeping bags and stuff. So, and we started going up to, my dad gave me a car and started going up to Tahoe. And then I started going to Yosemite. And as soon as I graduated, I went up for a summer up in Tualatin Meadows. I was, I was just hooked. And I really never stopped. I was just obsessed with it. So I did other sports and things like that, but climbing was always just like, always my main sport. And I knew that, that my life was going to be climbing. It was just like, yeah. I'm, I'm going to devote my life to climbing. So I actually started a company and I developed my first rock climbing device in 1982, 83. It was called okay. a rock and roller. And believe it or not, you might've heard it. Yeah. Uh, this sounds very vaguely familiar. It's an old, old uh, roller cam. And, uh, <laughs> and I started coming and believe it or not, the company was called GoPro. Whoa. Yes. That's ironic. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, <laughs> huh? Yeah, so I was the first one invented a, a company called GoPro. Uh, and it lasted for about uh, three years. We hooked up with DMM, and that was really cool. And uh, my experience with Denny Morehouse, that was crazy. But, uh, and, uh, and it didn't, you know, the company kind of went under because, you know, the market wasn't that big, and, mm -hmm. and it wasn't really an accepted product. And so I learned a bunch and got into constructing, things like that. But I climbed, climbed, climbed. Mm -hmm. But I actually came out with a removable bolt back in the late 80s. And I made a little prototype, but I just never did anything. And I just put it in my drawer, sat there for 10, 12 years. Oh, wow. And no one knew about it. it was just like this little this sleeping giant. A little, a little can that went in the drill the hole. <laughs> and in 1998, we launched it. And then that's how ClimbTech took off. And, you know, we were going to just have a, a fun small company. I had a partner at the time. We're going to have a small little, you know, climbing company and make some money and, you know, live the climbing life and, and turn into this mega mahima. And it, yeah. And it just turned into this, this monster. Yeah. So yeah. you've technically been in the, I want to say like gear design equipment industry, basically your entire life with climbing. I mean, from stuffing yeah. sleeping bags yeah. to, uh, to like inventing, the removable bolt in your first couple products, you've kind of been behind the scenes. You've been enjoying the, the front end of the business, but you've been kind of behind the scenes your entire career and your entire life. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people don't know who I am, oh. but they know the company. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the bolters, like the big top climbers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we know, have Joe I, Kinder, Chris Sharman, all those, those guys know us because you know, they know me cause I make the removable bolts. You know, it's, you know, I'd sponsor gear to them and stuff like that. But yeah. the average person, um, we got climb tech up fairly known. I think you guys did because yeah. I started seeing like your quick draws pop up. I yeah. started seeing your rope bags. I mean, in Austin, it was definitely a staple. I'll was, say that it was the perma draw that changed the game changed. Yeah. yeah. When we came out with the perma dolls. We got them up at rifle and we started popping them up everywhere. And that changed the game for us. And so for everyone listening, the perma draws that you have in your normal climbing gym, I want to give credit where credit is due. Like, you're the one who ushered this concept in because 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard uh, back in the day, like people even used to bring their own draws to climbing gyms and like clip in and things like this. I don't know if that was the, ever a yeah, thing. Yeah, I don't know about that. That's okay. Sounds scary. Yeah, it sounds terrifying. And I heard that from someone and I was like, I don't think that was a thing. But to give everybody an example, if you've ever gone outside and most of you who are avid climbers have seen this, it is usually a permadraw, a, a thin cable with like a blue or a turquoise kind of like plastic coating over it. And it's a simple draw. And it's made in multiple lengths. And if you've seen that, that is climb tech. I, odds are you're not paying attention to what's written on it when you're using it. You're just clipping it and hauling yep. ass up the wall. So it's doing its job. So, yeah, what we did is we took the, the uh, steel carabiner, you know, uh, bent gate, but we made the actual, the gate, we made it aluminum. Because you oh, know how it is when you're really pumped and you get those stiff gates? Yeah. They're hard to clip because you're pumped. It, 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 most people think, oh, no, that can't be that hard. But climbers know when you're yeah. really pumped, Clipping a gate can be puppy. Oh, just so the aluminum gates were so soft that made it. So that was the idea is like a steel beaner, but with an aluminum gate. Yeah. And I think it, it, like people even know it's like, I mean, even in multi pitch, like think about just like one short runner adds so much drag. It is, it feels like you're being pulled back into yes. the depths of hell. So it makes a massive, massive difference. And then so going with your climbing history, like you kind of like, so we went from bags to gear. And then, you know, and before we jump fully into climb tech, I definitely want to kind of revisit uh, the little tidbit I was telling you about my uh, podcast I recorded with Alan Watt. And I didn't realize that it was like had Alan had gotten information on like how to retro bolt and how to do that top down bolting from the French. And then they came over here and started smashing roots. Yeah. So that these these French climbers came over. Do you know who? I I think it was, it was Patrick Ellinger and, uh, John, I can't remember his name. John something. John John. John. Super strong climbers. Yeah. But they were in France and they were like bolting these roots and doing like these gymnastic type moves and working roots and their level of climbing just skyrocketed. And then they came over here. I can't remember what it was. I think it was a late eighties or early nineties, something like that. It wasn't it, the brothers, was it? The two? No, the Huber brothers. Oh, I'm, they're are, not French. They're not. French. No, they're German. I think yeah. or, or switch or something. Ah, no, these are French, French guys. Mm -hmm. And they came over and they just started crushing everything. They were running up all these roots and guys like John Bacher and those guys were just like, wow, what is this? And I imagine their face and they, you know, they started, and you know, a lot of people are like, you know, how, you know, how you climbing so strong and they were, you know, telling everybody how they do it. And Alan Watts got wind of it and talked to him or went over. I'm not sure if he went over to France and climbed on the roots, but somehow he got involved in that, figuring out how they did it. I think he talked to them uh, based yeah. off our podcast. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he talked yeah. to them. And then he, and then he had Smith rocks and, and, he bolted all those roots and people just went nuts. And I, as funny as I, I, all my life, I was always like the next generation, next generation, they're always going to change the sport. You know, mm -hmm. it's just the way it is. And you're never, ever, ever going to change it. The, the youth will come in there and they will advance it and change it. You know, and you just got to go with the flow because you can't stop it Yeah. in any sport. Yeah. It's just the way it is. If you try, you just wash yourself up and it's, it's, you know, you just, it, it, you'll never stop, you know, and there was a lot of people that were upset Yeah. with that. Yeah. Alan told me he was getting death threats. From oh people. yeah. Yeah. Well, the climbers were upset when, when the, the friend, remember the cam, the friend oh, came yeah. out when a friend came out. Uh, oh yeah. They were like breaking his car windows and 
shitting on his car and like what? Oh yeah, yeah. Ray Ray Jardine, I think it was his name. Yeah, and they were really upset because they said he was going to ruin it. And then like you know, eighteen months later, like, they couldn't make him fast. And then insane. Yeah, and then Fee Ray Flyers was the same thing when it came out or those Fee Ray Boreal Fee Rays. Yeah, okay. The so sticky we have rubber shoe. We have to go into this because I know you briefly. We talked about this before, but like I think this is a tidbit of information that most people do not know. And when you were telling me this, my brain was like overload because I was thinking of all these shoes that I've owned before. So original climbing shoes back Chaminard shoes that right had a Chaminard, yeah they had like shanks and like steel metal shanks, shanks at yeah. the bottom of the shoe yeah and so they're just stiff and like yeah. just hard hard rubber and then EB e, okay so yeah tell me this like who so came e, up so EB was like a basketball high top tennis shoe mm -hmm. and it, it was flexible and it had like a like a racing uh, a rubber sole but it was like rock hard rubber it was like really hard so you know it would slip off stuff and basically what the free ray did is they just take, took that same shoe and threw on some racing rubber, like off a F1 car, super sticky rubber. And they threw that on the, the, the and all of a sudden your feet were sticking to everything. Instead of skating off everything, you had this like super sticky rubber and the climbers, you know, the old guard climbers were nuts. They were so upset. It's cheating. It's going to ruin the sport. Blah, blah, blah. Typical, typical bullshit always happens. And then, 18 months later, they couldn't yeah. make them fast enough. So, uh, like, who comes up with this shit? Like, really? Like, oh, let's, like, we're sitting at home, we're in Spain, drinking some wine, hanging out. Dude, let's take racing car rubber and shove it yeah. on a shoe. I, like, I, like I who is the connection? I don't know who actually made the shoe. I know it was John Bacher who created Boreal uh -huh. at the time, and he was distribute him so he was he brought him to the United States yeah and he was selling them. and it was a, made in Spain yeah the shoes were made in Spain so somebody in Spain had a connection had something and somebody made that shoe and go check this out and he globbed onto that and launched it and that was the start of the sticky rubber shoe that just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once again, as you said, like the youth is going to come in, change the world oh, and yeah. change the game. And like, it's either get on board or get off, you know? And it's like, that just blows my mind. Like, I'm really curious at one, one of these days, I'm hoping I get to like talk to someone who can like, I want to know who knew who, who knew who's like, Hey, can I get some high performance F1 rubber? Like I can just imagine that conversation being like, why? Like, I'll, I'll tell you later. But it's just like, uh, okay. And then next thing you know, this probably this manufacturer who makes this stuff cannot make enough of it fast enough. Yeah. I mean, the shoe would wear out like three times as fast, but people it doesn't didn't matter care because they were so sticky. No, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, mean, I, I climb in soft I, shoes. I have to I, buy new shoes every year. I, start, I started out in Chenard Shank shoes and I went to EB's. And then when those speed rays came out, I mean, I grabbed a pair so fast. I, I, and it, it was night and day. It night. was like, I was doing stuff like my foot was sticking on everything. <laughs> it's just like wow i can use my feet <laughs> it was yeah oh it, it's man. incredible but going back to alan watts it's like uh i got a lot of respect for alan watts i mean he's probably one of my all-time climbing heroes because i you know i've you know you know me i've, yeah. I've bolted a lot of roots i've been bolting roots all my life and uh but he like he stepped it up and he really took that sport climbing and launched it. And he got a lot of flack for it. Yeah. But 
But it didn't take long before he was like a hero. And I mean, kudos to him. I mean, he, he went for it and he changed, he changed he it over changed here. He changed the I mean, industry. It would have came eventually. eventually. Yeah, you're right. You're but, right. But he was the one that had the foresight to say, you know what? I got, he had Smith Rocks right there. And he said, oh, we're, what, what better place can you, you know, do this new European style sport climb? Uh-huh. And it was right in his backyard. And yeah, because he told me his dad used to take him on hikes and they would go walking back in this area all the time. And they never actually, he, like, you know, it was just never really climbed. It was like yeah. there was a couple random things, like people doing some, I guess there were some cracks or some things you could protect. But for the most part, it was just blank. Yeah, just all the time. Base climbing. There's nothing there. And now that monstrosity is, you know, the epicenter of a lot of, I mean, it's the epicenter of sport climbing on the West Coast. I mean, oh yeah. Well, if you think about it, you got well. Smith Rock is, is most of it's dead vertical with really yep. small holes, right? Yeah. And a lot of limestone is vertical, overhanging, right? So if you're not pounding like in the old days, it pounded pitons and little little holes. But a lot of times, you know, you're not going to climb up and be drilling mm -mm. on those type of roots, you know, off hooks and stuff. This is too desperate, right? Yeah. So they just don't really climb there. Like granite, a lot of times you get like these little voids where you can get a perch and you can sit and you can stand, you can drill, mm -hmm. I'm gonna run out, but there's always a lot of times it's not it's really, not that way. it's always kind of a low angle. So it's a lot easier to bolt off lead, but, uh, Smith rocks was like, so you just lower the rope and clean it. And Let's go for it. TR, figure out where you want your bolts. Uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> thank you. That, yeah. I mean, thank you for bringing that into existence because it makes from a development standpoint aside, I mean, don't like Michael yesterday and I, we're literally, we were bolting routes ground up, you know, mm -hmm. just because I like to do it every once in a while. It kind of gives me an idea to the area, you know, and I bring everything in the kitchen sink, you know, and him and I basically said next week, like, uh, you know, whenever we kind of figure out our schedules, we're just going to wrap down and just like, burp, 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 and then just kind of get a bunch of stuff done. But even then it's like, you know, just like the time that it took us to do this one route going ground up mm -hmm. and thinking about like how fast we can, like how fast it is and how more convenient it is, that style. And just makes things more accessible and you can get more routes up. And yeah. I, uh, and that's like, and that's the point. The point is to make, the point is to make more quality routes, more accessible for a wider group of people. That's like the single point, of, at least for me, like I bolt things that I want to climb selfishly, but I also like, I try to keep it to like a two to one ratio for every one thing I bolt selfishly for myself. I try to put like two moderates or two something else for something else. For other people getting into the sport. Cause it's boring when you go somewhere and climb and everything's nails hard at this one zone and none of your friends can climb. None of your friends can do anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you got to walk all the way over to the other side. Like it's just a terrible experience. And I, that's something yeah, I, we kind of got into this long train about it yesterday. I like Bolton. I want people to climb my route. I want, I want lines on my route. Trade routes. Trade routes. Yeah. If I, if it's not a trade route, I really just don't want anything. To yeah. Do with I, it. I can, I can, I'll bolt five eights and five nines all day. Yeah. All awesome. day. And then people line up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, uh, so that kind of like segues into like climb tech. So you've sold this monster and you know, it, you know, changed the game. I think in like accessibility to hardware, I think that's where it really changed the game, especially for me because like it was just so hard to get gear locally at a reasonable price and something that's it. Because over that, I was like, I was either buying bolts overseas or buying Hilti, which their bolts are extremely expensive. Oh, yeah. They're like, I mean, it's just donkers. It's like 
$500 for a box of 60, you know? And it's like, it's, it's just. Yeah. Putting crazy. up roots can be expensive. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, cause also I think a misconception too, is everyone thinks every bolt is works and it, that's not the trick case at all. Like sometimes you lose something. Sometimes it doesn't work. I always tell people like routes throughout development is like you a have, little, you have waste. Yeah. I mean, it, you're like a garbage man, a plumber and you know, a carpenter all in one. And it's like, like Michael and I were yesterday, we we're joking. We we're like, RD is my BDSM and route development is my BDSM. Cause like, it's like, it's this masochistic love and yeah. you're like, just, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, but I, some of my first routes I bolted Mount St. Helena and Napa. And I, said, I mean, this is back in the late seventies. And it was like, literally, we were making our own hangers, like bolting roots. What, like, what do you do to do that? Is it just like, like they've a, all been retro, you know, a long time ago. People yeah. But still retro. like, is it just like getting a sheet of metal, drilling it through and getting a blowtorch and just you like get angle trying, iron. Oh, okay. Yeah. You just get angle iron, cut it and you just grind it down and drill holes and <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair yeah. enough. Man. Simple enough. Yeah. But oh. still, you know, it's. Soft metal, you know? No, no. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to last. No. So what's next on the horizon now? Now you've got, uh, I want to, I definitely want to talk about what's on the horizon. Then I also want to talk about your daughter and your family, because when I, when you and I met in person, she was like, she's a whirlwind in herself. But then you were telling me she's nine now. Nine. Yeah. Nine. But she bolted her first route last year. Yeah. She was eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a trade route. I mean, last time we were at Inks Ranch, I think she had like 40 different parties climbing in two days, that route. I mean, they were lining up. It was incredible. Lining up. There was like 15 people standing. It was great. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she was so proud. She was, yeah. And they all knew her. They was like, oh, that's a little girl that bolted this route. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. Oh, but man. yeah, I got plans for her. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. I'm sure she has plans of her own too. Yeah. 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 So like what's next? So now so, Climb Tech sold, Climb Tech sold, you know, you are taking a little bit of a hiatus, I think. Well, I, so I'm, I'm been running, you know, the, of course, Warner is a big, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Um, so I've been kind of managing gen, general managing Climb Tech. Mm -hmm. uh, I signed a three-year contract uh, as part of the deal. Um, that I would stay for three years. I mean, I didn't have to, but you know, they yeah. were giving me a bonus, but the person that landed the whole deal has been working for Warner. He's a friend of mine. I've known for 20 years and out in, in, in the, in the industry, industrial industry and a great guy. And I told him, you know, you land this deal and I will work for three years. I will devote. And, um, you know, until you guys get this all you know, launched and brought into your company and all set up. And, and I'm, a, you know, I, my handshake means a lot to me. Yeah. So, um, but I got seven months left. And uh, so Warner is killing ClimbTech. It's, but there's no more ClimbTech as a climbing brand. company. Okay. It's a brand in the industrial because it's well known in the industrial market. That makes sense. Yes. There would be too much confusion I mean, big, and crossover. Big companies, Halliburton, yeah. Kiwit, all these big companies know who we are. So we're very well known in industrial. Um, and it's a big, I mean, it helps Warner a lot that, oh, they're, you know, Climb Tech is basically their innovation company now. They're innovating all their, their equipment for industrial safety. Um, oh. But climbing is gone. They, okay. they cut it all off. Okay. And so my contract comes up. I'm, I'm done. 
Yep. That era of my life is going to be done and I'm moving on and I'm going to start another climate business. Nice. Are we, can we say what it's going to be or do you want to wait? It's no, we can say, yeah. So I already got the website and everything. Uh, it's called sport bolting. Nice. So it's still going to be bolt based on, on bolting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to do the way bolts, which was a, you know, a good product bar. Yeah. That, that thing took off and the Muncie hooks. And then I've created a, uh, I'm calling it the century bolt. And the idea is we launched a bolt called the legacy, but it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. I remember so I, re- it. I redesigned it. I made it much simpler and cost effective. So we're going to, I'm going to launch that. Um, I'm get, excited. getting ready to get the patent on that. And basically the idea is just you drill a hole 15 years later, you pull it out, simply stick another one back in, torque it down. 15 years later, you pull it out, stick another one back in. I try to get a hundred years out of the hole. I think for like, the thing I love about that idea is from a management side, as someone who, you know, is doing route developments, trying to open up a climbing area of their own. Mm-hmm. Like to me, when I think and maybe I'm overthinking this, but like one, that makes developing a lot easier. And also that makes it easier to ask people and companies and people to get on board with supporting an area because especially, because now like, the best advice I ever heard from someone is if you have any idea, if you can make a spreadsheet that shows an ROI and you know, an R like anything you want, like, but as long as you can back it up with a spreadsheet, like you can get a lot farther in life. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's one of the biggest things. That's like, when you look at companies wanting to invest in these ideas or these people, or even just like social initiatives, like, like, I feel like, especially when it comes to climbing and crags and areas like that, it's just these mythical numbers that like don't have a lot of like trail maintenance is pretty set. set. Like you develop a trail, you know, it's going to cost X amount. Like the access fund has done so much work and has so much data. They can tell you depending on how well you develop a trail, how long it's going to last, what the erosion is rate, And then when you're going to have to redo it, like they can tell you almost on the dime, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't think that's been true for climbing for route development before it's kind of like, well, when do these bolts need to be replaced? And how much is it going to cost? Or what is it going to be? Or what is it like? Like no one knows. And I'm very curious to see like what the Century Bolt is going to usher in. Well, we want to make it simple. Yes. So you want to make it simple. You want to make it, you know, sort of like, okay, we can replace these very simply. They come right out. You know, we can, and the idea is that, you know, we're not chopping, we're not damaging a rock. We're just pulling it out. We can pull it out early right mm-hmm. throw it away put a new one right in the same spot super easy takes you know two three minutes pull it out put another one in mm-hmm. torque it down you know we could set a plan you know if it's like a sensitive area and say like every 15 years we log them 15 years stainless we'll pull it out no matter what the condition is yeah and that's and and then it also it means you know you're not up there you're not chopping things off you're not drilling holes next to it you're not damaging anything you're else. Not damaging, yeah. Yeah, because that also caused problems which people don't under-realize all the time. And I think from a park service kind of standpoint, this is where I'm really happy to have this conversation because the park services, the whole idea is conservation. Mm-hmm. Like, like yes. there's the conser- conservative, con- conservation of resources. And like, that's the whole idea. And I think now you are really taking it, making it a much more sustainable thing. And I think, you know, anchors have come a long way. And now with the actual bolt changing, I think it's going to change a lot. It's not going to change the actual way the process is done, but I think it changes the way that we can advocate for the access to new areas. Exactly. Because some of these, you know, 
forestry departments and things like that, you know, they, a lot of them just don't like climbers, you know, and if they can use any excuse to get us kicked out or shut it down, they will, they will. So we have the more arsenal weapons we have in our arsenal to use against that and say, Hey, you know, we're developing this stuff. We're making changes. You know, it's better for us. It gives us a better fighting chance. Yeah. yeah. And I just think being able to use that same hole over and over and over is just, I think it is because now you're talking about something also too, you know, and not, I I mean, this is going to happen because I know it's going to happen. I'm just waiting for it to happen. But at the same time, I also think this is also a system where you can have park service rangers actually understand what's going on. They can actually be involved in the process of maintenance. I don't think they want to, but to me, like what you're talking about because of the level of sustainability, because it's just one simple impact that can be logged, that can be tracked all of a sudden it changes everything because I mean, I'm sure you and I both have been in a situation where like you're trying to remove a bolt. It doesn't come out. You've got to like epoxy it up, drill something next to it. Like we just said, I mean, it turns into, I mean, it, and that's why I say earlier, you have to be a plumber, a garbage man and a carpenter yep. all in one. And people think that it's like, well, why? I'm like, because if it doesn't work, you have to make something else work because you have to justify like the five other bolts that you just put in the wall below them or do you like oh this isn't gonna go i'm just gonna end this route in the middle of the route or am i gonna yank everything out that i just put all the way in and it's like it's it's this big process and i think what this is gonna do i think it's gonna make park services and other companies i think it's gonna allow i I think it's gonna open a door i don't know exactly what it's gonna do but i am i i want to be a fly on the wall when the conversations in the community starts happening because i do think I, I would like to see as a personal change, a big shift to this kind of bolting. And I mean, I get that other bolts are cheaper and easier and I, and I understand they're going to be a long time, but I want to shift to this because yeah. I think this is the future. Yeah. Let's take like perfect example. You and I have both been out of Inks Ranch and we bolted out there. Private ranch. Yep. Climbing out there is great. Lots of potential stuff. You know, they said, you know, everything has to be stainless. Yep. Right. And if we have to, they decide to change or maybe change your mind or trial and error, you know, they're kind of just, you know, opening up five, five or six weekends a year to see how it goes and see if they like it. You know, they might decide, they said they might want to shut it down or want all the gear removed. As I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're very happy the way it's going, but they, when they first started, that was a possibility. That was a possibility, right? That would but be, that, but that's the same thing as say, you know, well, we have these bolts that are right? easily removable. Right. And if, if park services are worried about, you know, oh, you know, you're going to put that bolt that's going to last 15 years and you got to cut the thing off and you got to drill a hole next to it. And then in 30 or 40 years, you're going to have all these, you know, and then they, they, oh, and they get all upset, you know, and they, we don't want that. And, and, and yeah. And it's and also a monster removing those. Cause I was like, right when you said that, I was thought about it. I was like, it t- would literally take an army of like a hundred people dude, working dude, around the clock. Dude, you're going to shit your pants when you see this thing. You're uh, going to go, oh, this is so basic. Uh, you are, you're going to shit, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> you're going to shit your pants. When is the, so when, do you, when are you going to have a working prototype? I I'm going to have, uh, we're working on um, uh, some uh, samples right now, some prototypes right now. Nice. Yeah, we're doing uh, 3D print. Oh, uh, nice. Classic 3D print things, just kind of playing with them. Okay, perfect. But uh, uh, my goal is to have it out by spring. Okay. 
So I should have, in two months, I should have it figured out. It's pretty simple. I'll have it figured out. I'll be working on, you know, the patents probably in July, August. I like, I like that you say it's pretty simple and to the layman person who knows nothing about industrial hardware or building anything. To me, I'm like, this, there's no way this is that simple. Like it's, it's pretty simple. It when you see it, you're going to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why didn't anybody else think of that? But you know, it's the kiss theory, right? Oh. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. 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 Yeah. The no. legacy bolt was way too, it worked, but it was way too complex. And it was just so expensive machine that, you know, those things are going to be $20, $25 bolts. And then people just like, forget, I ain't going to do it. Yeah. No, I mean. No, we got to get them for, with hanger and bolt, we got to get them 10 bucks. That's, that's reasonable. Cause like with hanger and bolt right now with a wedge, you're probably what? Like seven bucks, seven, six, eight, yeah. Yeah, seven eight bucks, maybe six. If stainless, you're lucky. Yeah. Stainless seven, eight. Yeah. 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 Zinc a little lower. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm excited to see this monster. I really, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm excited to see it, but I really actually want to just break out a drill and like place it. Is it gonna come in well, three eighths and a half? Well, it's gonna be half inch. Half inch. Oh. Yeah. And, why, uh, is it not possible to make it smaller? Yeah, I think so. But we're gonna start with half inch. That makes sense. And see how it does, and just and, and test it. But okay. My daughter's gonna be the first one to bolt a root with it. Okay, fair enough. I'll get in line. Yeah, yeah. I'll get in line. Give me the first. I have. I have to because I. No, that I, I get that. You know, we've been involved with Inks Ranch, you know, and I've I've been one of the mentors, you know, trying to get, you know, because you know, basically, most of the bolting, just been you know white dudes, yeah. right? And there's a there's a few women that are bolted rich, but not a I, lot. I put them count them on my hand, right? Yeah. And minorities is like you know, pretty non-existent. I have had, a, I've had a few, um, I know some, you know, Brazilians that are bolted and mm -hmm. some Mexicans, but generally pretty much dominated. Yeah. By, and women are like, they just, yeah. And it's minute. It's, it's minute. Yeah. I will say that like, that's actually some of the female route setters in our crew at the gym. I can, I've not all of them, but I've walked up to most of them and I'm like, Hey, I have some bolting that I'm doing down South in Texas would you like to come and do it? And they're like, oh, but, uh, it's okay. And I was like, and I rephrased what I said. I was like, I would like to teach you how mm -hmm. to bolt to make it an option for you. And this also goes to any woman listening to this podcast, woman, minority, really anybody. But ideally I'm like amplifying this to women and minorities. Um, I don't care who you are, point blank. I don't yeah. care who you are, but the, their bolting in itself is not inclusive enough. And I, and I, and I get that it's also a finite resource, not because there isn't enough rock around the goal in the world. I mean, we've probably bolted a fraction of all the rock that's in the world. Oh, like we haven't micro. even seen it all. The, the thing is, it's so much of it is even, especially in the United States is private land. Like you don't even know it exists. Like, I mean, I found a crag, a little teeny thing that I found like driving around Texas. And I was like, what is this thing doing here? And it's like, just sitting here, this little teeny bluff right off the side of the road. I walked down, wrapped down, bolted three roots in it, put up a five seven, five eight. This five ten, and I'm like, this thing is probably sitting here for like thousand years. People have been driving by it every day. Never bolted it, and never bolted it. And I was just driving by, and I literally it caught me out of the corner of my left eye, and I saw it on a bridge. I was driving. A I was like, what is that? And it's that classic limestone streak that you see. And I like remember I pulled over, figured out how to wh whack my way over there. I figured out there was a road, and next thing you know, that's yeah. it. But getting back to the point though is. The member, the, the, the diversity within 
bolting and root development is so small. Yeah, but the thing is, you and I know. Yeah. It's, there's nothing better than climbing your own route. You just bolt. It's, it's like, it's like drinking a fine beer, right? It's like, it's just, it's it's just the best. I mean, people don't know. It's It's, like you can climb all the great routes in your life, but but when you put up, when you put up a trade route and you know that route's like, oh, this thing is gonna be so good. And you bolt it and you send it. And then everybody lines up to climb it. There's nothing bad. I mean, that's the best feeling in climbing for me. Mm. And I, I, I'm hoping that my daughter will, they'll not only just women, but youth mm-hmm. will inspire some people to say, Hey, this young girl, you know, she's bolting roots. You know, we should try that. Maybe she'll get some friends I'm hoping and then, so. and they'll bolt some roots. And I'm hoping so. My biggest thing that I hope to see from your daughter doing this and then my trip to Malawi and then a few other things that I have coming in the pipeline, like what I want to do and for anyone listening to this too, like I'm very, and I'm very open about this, but I want to spearhead public private development of access to land because I think like, I think it's Scotland. It's either Scotland or Wales, one of those places up there, but a lot of the land is private. Most of the land is private. However, it is a public, it's not like a law or anything, but it's just understood that access to cliffs, access to these, these little easement trails that are, that are like, they're well, they're well-groomed trails. There's sometimes a lot of them are fenced off. So you don't go in the areas that you're not supposed to, but having, letting people have access to the natural beauty and the natural wonder that's out there is like, what you know, and I don't know if it will ever happen. I honestly don't. I don't, I don't know about but, England and Scotland. I but, know like, like in Germany, you know, there's a lot like a Frankenier was like all these ranches for hundreds of kilometers in every direction. And there's these limestone cliffs tucked in the trees. A lot of times you can't even see them. You're just driving down the roads and all these batches of those, those the black forest trees, you know, uh-huh. the big pine trees. There's all these limestone cliffs it's tucked inside there. And they're just everywhere. There's like thousands and thousands of them. But you just could pull off a road and you can walk on a, a farmer's land in Germany and there's a trail and you just go in there and you can bolt roots and climb and you want. the farmers just be, hey, hey how you doing you know you walk in there and they and it's like you can't you can't sue you can't do anything so if any, you do anything in there it's like you know they'll come in maybe get an ambulance and pull you out but you know the farmer has nothing to worry about no and I think that's and the- they're just the mentality over just like oh they're gonna hike around and climb oh that's great have a good time kids mm-hmm. right you know, but you know, your own responsibility, they're not going to worry about anything. No. And I think that's the problem is, is that's not the case here in Texas. And it's like, I want to see that change. And I get that. Like, it's a structural change. It's a cultural change. that has got to happen. Like this is not something that like, it's going to happen overnight. And you're also trying to convince people whose land has been privatized in their property. No one else has been on it for decades and generations that like opening it up to a certain extent within boundaries that you are comfortable with. This is right. your land. I want to be very clear. This is your land, mm-hmm. but doing this, I think one would bring so much economic prosperity to small towns in Texas and small towns and places Two, I think the amount of like just access to this, that would improve public health, public joy. Like, I, like, it, like there are more wins than there are losses. And you know, just like anything with hunting, like you can make it like, like, like an E-Rock during hunting season. There's no rock climbing allowed. I think it is. Like, there's a season where... It's two weeks, I think. It's like two weeks. And then I know in the Wichita's, they have something like the same thing. And there are places where, like, 
like I think um, Cochi stronghold when there's buzzard season, like certain areas are just shut off. And like, that's a common practice. Yeah. Like it's not it's nothing, fine. anything like we like, I think we're re like, I just think I would just love to see more people come to the table and just like want to talk about this and that, but I just don't think it's going to happen until I, I think, I think climbing is really starting to get mainstream too though. So I think, I think a lot like, of people are watching movies or mm -hmm. everybody knows about it. And it's like, Oh, these places are a climbing areas. Yeah. And eventually, you know, it's going to take another 20, 30 years, but I think a lot of stuff hopefully will start opening. I, I think it will expedite if a Texan wins Olympic gold in rock climbing, then all of a sudden, cause it's like, like you need a Heisman. And if a rock climber wins a Texas, uh, like Olympic gold across the board and it's a solid Texan and Texas goes nuts about it, it's the equivalent of a football Heisman trophy, like a yeah. six man football player winning the Heisman. All right, we got to go find a kid and train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> train them hard. Now, you know, why I haven't quit coaching in 20 years. Yeah, I know. Dude, I want to see it. And I think that honestly, once again, like you, you kind of stated this in the beginning, the youth are going to be the ones who make oh, yeah. these changes. Absolutely. And it's just like, I think it's just our our job as older guards is really just to kind of like make sure one that like certain principles and certain ethics are still like mindsets are still going, it's are still yes. transferred on, but how the access is used, how these things are done, like it's, it's going to change with them. And you know, yeah, pass passing the knowledge on to them and then making sure that they, they take that knowledge in the right direction. Yeah. You know, and make sure that you guide them in the right direction. Yeah. And then yeah. after that part, just, take the reins off and just yeah, let them because go because they're going to have to train the generation after that bet right yeah and it's a cycle it is yeah it's like well i know you do a lot of stuff overseas and stuff like that and i've done some stuff down in brazil we have a, a bunch of kids down there yeah and uh we taught them how to develop this big wall i mean there's this giant granite dome in this little town all these people are poor but there's all these kids wanting to kind of climb we got like 30 kids down there climbing now and it, we developed this whole wall and taught these kids how to climb. And now it's like, it's funny. Most of these kids would be 14, 15, they're girls and boys. You know, first thing you do is they get a boy, girlfriend, they get pregnant. Next thing you know, they're 20 and they have three kids. And they live in this vicious cycle of living in poverty. And then they have a bunch of kids. And then, you know, their kids turn 14 and they have babies and mm -hmm. they work out in the fields, you know, and it's like this vicious cycle, right? Yeah. You know, and we got these kids and now these kids are all getting like in their mid twenties and they're traveling outside their little town. They're going to cities. They're going all over to Brazil. They're climbing all over the place. Some are, are starting to leave the country. Yeah. They're going to cities and getting jobs. They're going to school. You know, they're like, I want to climb. I want to go to Europe and go climbing. So they get these big, wonderful dreams and they make it happen. And, and you break the cycle. Right. And then they get in their thirties and then, okay, we're going to have kids, but then our kids are going to go to school. Our kids are going to, you know, our yeah. kids are going to climb. Our kids are going to travel. They're going to get, they're going to get educated and then they're going to be in their thirties and they're going to have a family and then their kids. And then you just, you break that cycle. It's funny you say that because it's like, people always ask me like, why was climbing so special to me? And it like, I always tell people, I was like, it's never that I was a bad kid. I wasn't really doing anything, but, but that's the problem. I didn't have anything going on. Like granted back in the day, my dad was like, my dad was like, listen, as long as you didn't get somebody pregnant, you don't have a prison record, you know, and you know, you're not a drug addict. You're doing all right for a black man. Like you just, yeah. just keep your head low, you yeah. know, and just don't do that. And it never really gave me any aspirations. Like, you know, and it's like, and I, I like, granted I had a job. I was never a bad person, but 
I was going nowhere really fast. And that very much so is the reality of like mm-hmm. probably what would have happened. And like, you know, and I just think about now, if I never found climbing, which by no means, I'm, I, I, if this is someone's life, by no means am I, if I'm knocking on it, if this is what you want, then more power to you and I support you. But I just, I literally thought all I would be doing is like working at Walmart, maybe hopefully be a manager one day, have a bunch of kids and like yeah. just like that, that was just the end of my life. And now I think about my life, you know, I have seen more of the world than I have ever possibly ever would have imagined. And I have had the access and the privilege to see more things that I thought I genuinely never thought it would never, I just never didn't know it exist. Yeah. It wasn't even that I never thought about it. Like I just fa- genuinely fathomly did not know. Like, like if you would have asked me like, what is it? I'm like, what does that, that doesn't exist. And you know, what's great is when you travel, you go to places like tourists will never go. Oh, never. And you meet people, tourists would never, never the real culture and mm. people. That's what's great about the sport. Oh yeah. That's you, what I, mean, I love about it so much. You can literally say, you know what? I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to France. I just get on a plane and fly over there and go to the local climbing gyms. Hey, I'm looking for some climbers. I'm from Texas. Oh, next thing you know, you're over for six months. Yeah. Hanging out with people. Oh yeah. That, but I, a whole bunch of friends. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause I've done that. I've showed up at a gym in Europe before there. I'd be like, Oh, where are you from? I'm like Texas. And everyone's like, John Wayne. John Wayne. Yeah, whatever. Bang, bang, bang. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, that was a long time ago. Everyone's like, that show Dallas is amazing. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you live in Dallas? <laughs> is all of Texas Dallas? And I'm like, you know, but people are not that like some people like in smaller, 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 like communities who don't know in modern cities, everyone knows and everyone's that, but I've definitely been in like small, small little communities that like don't have a lot of resources, not a lot of access to the internet or anything like that. But everybody knows John Wayne. Yeah. Everybody knows the show Dallas, which blows my mind. That's crazy. huh? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's traveling. You know, this sport definitely you get a lot of travel and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I look back at my life and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost, I'll be 64 in a month. You look great. Yeah. And I, I feel strong. I climb strong. I jump out of bed every morning. I feel so healthy. You know, I feel like I'm 30. Uh-huh. You know, climbing is, you know, this, because of climbing, yeah. you know, and climbing has, you know, given me great health, great friends, a great life. I've made some some good money off it mm-hmm. I've done really well with the sport of climbing and and now it's like some of my stuff is like like in Brazil and stuff like that it's like you know I I, I gotta give back yeah I gotta give back well I'm excited I'm excited for you and I'm excited for your new business and I'm honestly very excited that you and I had a finally a chance to connect and meet and I'm looking forward to having you be a part of my journey and me being a part of yours and I'm also very excited to just stand in the in the coattails of your daughter's journey as this how this is gonna happen. She was, she, she was so excited when she saw you on that I, show. Uh, she was rooting for you. <laughs> she was like, oh, go, 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 go. I'm she so was like, ex- she's sitting up front at the TV, like watching. Uh, it. it was uh, so funny. I I look forward to sitting down and having an interview with her one day and seeing where her journey and everything is taking her because it's wild, man. Like I, I think you as a parent definitely understand this, but I think more so as a climber, I'm just so excited to see what climbing is going to look like in 20 years. It's going to be amazing. It's, 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 there are very few sports in life that I think that fundamentally change you at your core. And Chris Sharma said this on the show. He was like, climbing is one of the unique sports that 
like if you really get involved, it fundamentally changes you at your core. And I think oh, yeah. climbing, whitewater rafting, any kind of water river sports do, uh, and any kind of like true backpacking adventure, like where you have to be out in the midst of nature for a while, any of those three things, because there's certain level of self-autonomy that you have to achieve. And there's a certain level of like humbleness and humility where you have to realize that like, I am never in control when you're out in the middle of nature and you're out in the middle of the world, even though we're climbing on bolted routes that we spent all this time that we bolt and we put together. And I can't, I agree with you earlier. It's so true because I've, I've been in a lot of, I've done a lot of extreme sports Mm -hmm. and none of them are like climbing. None of them are like the, the culture, just what it, not only the confidence and just what it does for your life, how you view life. You know, I, I've done, you know, I used to race motocross, oh. you know, I mountain bike for years. Now, you know, like I'm really big in jujitsu. Yep. I've been skiing all my life. Um, I was a professional dancer for a long time, but all those sports were like, you know, they, they were fun, but there wasn't that, how can I say it? It's, it's like, they never had a community. Yeah. Dancing probably had, would be the only one that would be close. I feel like but that's because you went to big conventions and stuff, but uh, still it never had that, that community. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, you couldn't be a skier or, or a dancer or a motocross guy or mountain, maybe mountain, I don't know, but a mountain and just, Hey, I'm going to go fly over somewhere and get hooked up with a community. Be living in some guy's house because they're yeah. a climber, you know? Yeah. Climbing has that, it's like an international thing. It is. It's very much it is, so. Because it like, me and my friend were climbing Half Dome and we we're going to do it in a day. So we got up there and we took off, we fixed like 400 feet and then we took off like 3.30 in the morning where we got on there and there's two other parties behind us and, you know, so a party of three. And we got three quarters of the way out and it's starting to get dark, right? And it was uh, two guys from Italy and two guys from Portugal. Okay. They were up there doing roots. They didn't know each, none of us knew each other. Right. And next thing you know, they're up and the guy comes up to blazes. We got to get to the top. You know what I mean? And see, so yeah. So I, I took the, the Italian guy's rope and tied it on. Right. And we dragged their rope up and fixed it. And then just to get to the top, cause we wanted, everybody wanted to get to the top before it got dark. Yeah. That makes sense. And then they pulled up the Portuguese guys ropes and just like six guys, two Americans, two Italians, two Portuguese out of nowhere on some sheer face. 2,000 feet off the ground trying to get to the top of the thing, <laughs> tag teaming it together, right? Yeah. And like Insta buddies. Yeah. You know, and then the next day we sat and had made food and, and camp four and had beers and laughed and, and it, you don't get that no. from other sports. You don't. You don't. And I think there's this communal suffering that you go through and I think that that alone is what makes it because like, I mean, that's kind of where this podcast kind of came from, Sense and Suffers. It came from sitting around in a campfire, wanting people to engage and wanting people to talk. And then I was like, what was your sin? What was your suffer? And now the stuff that I heard at campfire, people talking about like the struggles they took to get there, the struggles they had on the wall, things like that. Those are made friendships now that I, that are still bonded to this day. And I think like you are correct. Like it's, it's, this community is so unique and, but I think it's the action of what we do that is, I don't know if I'm, what I'm about to say is really correct. I'm just going to shoot in the dark here. It is rock climbing is single handedly the most selfish and selfless sport. If 
you are basing your actions within the community. Because it's selfish because we just want to rock climb and we yeah. want to do our route. You want to send your route. But it's selfless because it just doesn't matter if, if the community's not involved. And I get, when I was younger, I was like, I just want to climb the hardest things and I want to do my thing. But it probably wasn't until like my mid twenties where I realized rock climbing is stupid. Like it is dumb and it's, and, and it's it, in its entirety. If you think about it, yeah, it's especially really dumb. if you're a non-climber, you're like, why would you do that? do that? It's so dumb. But what makes it magical is the experiences that you have with people putting yourself in a situation that forces you to grow some gumption and just like put yourself out there. Yeah. And because of that level of vulnerability and intimacy, it builds bonds. Like those guys just had to trust you and you're like tying yeah. it in. Like, okay, oh, well, yeah. we're going to make this work. And the thing about it is, is there's not a question in your mind whether they should or not. And that's like the, and I think that's there something. Wasn't, there was just, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, let's just do this. Yeah, okay, fine. There yeah. was no, there was, it wasn't even, it was like, oh, it's, it's almost like it's a bond in a sport where you get in those circumstances and it's like, it's just, you just do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, that's part of the sport. Absolutely. You just do it. And I don't think that's true. And I agree with you. I don't think that's true in a lot of other sports and a lot of other disciplines. Um, I, I, I don't want to end this conversation, but I do, but we definitely do need to wrap it up here. And um, I, I want to think I want to say this, and I think, I don't know if this is true from, for the Austin community or whatever. I'm not here, but I climb here a lot. But I, uh, I definitely want to say thank you for the innovations and for the things you have done. Because I, I get that, like, you're doing it for two reasons. One, you want to rock climb. Two, you want to make the sport better. But I think the third thing is, is it does take a lot of work and dedication because there's probably plenty of other things you could have done throughout your life. And I do want to say thank you for that because I don't think... You know, like you, Alan, a lot of other guys that have come through the sport and also who have been very accepting of people who look like me and young people of coming in. It's, it, it's not like that is not as big of a thing as people would like to make it seem. And I'm speaking to everyone listening to this. Like you would be surprised how many people of the older guard are not psyched that youth are coming in. They're very upset about it. Like they feel like they're ruining it and they're not, they're not happy that all these people, whether they mean me or just a lot of people in general are getting into it. And I think you guys as being sleeping giants or sleeping pillars in the community that are just silently moving around in the background and then really kind of encouraging us and encouraging people to come in is a massive deal. And I don't think it gets said enough. And I like, you know, I brought this up with Alan after the show that I was like, you know, like it means a lot to me because it just like when I got into climbing, it wasn't that way. It was not that way. And yeah. it's, and it just, it always rubbed me the wrong way. It always rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I think I'm so happy to know that the longer I've stayed in climbing, the better I have seen it get from both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And it means a lot to me. So thank you. I, I like the growth. I like where it's going. I, I, you know, and I, it's like when, when I was first learning how to rock climb, and there, there was no black people climbing. I never saw for decades. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just black people didn't climb. No. And now, like, you know, a bunch of them. Boom. It's great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, how often were kids climbing when you were coming in? Uh, not, you know, it was mostly, it was pretty much, when I started, it was pretty much, there was a handful of Asians, 
and some, you know, Hispanic people, but it was mostly just white dudes. Yeah. You know, and maybe their girlfriend would tag along in TR or something, but other than that, but yeah. I mean, the women now, Oh, it's incredible. Oh, <laughs> they, strong. Oh, they just, rule the world. Like anyone who does not know, uh, like uh, women are by uh, far okay. the best climbers out of the whole. You bunch. know, what's amazing about the sport. What? You know what's amazing about the sport. And I tell people about this. It's like, this is one of the sports where women are literally just a micro notch. The best female climbers in the world are just a notch under the best male climbers. And it's going to overtake soon. It, it probably. It probably be it, some. It hasn't some, already. Yeah. With little tiny fingers, and some, some girl's going to come in and send something so stupid. And it's like, it's not like football, basketball, baseball, all these sports where professional men would just, you know, just annihilate the women mm -hmm. in that sport. Annihilate. No, this sport, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed with women is especially young women. Like, like we all know this, a 10 year old girl can kick the crap out of a 10 year old boy. Like the girls are just mature faster. Yeah. They're stronger at a younger age, but the sheer level of like intellectual know-how that I see the girls that I coach putting forth effort. Like I watch them and I'm like, you girls are going to be light years ahead. Oh yeah. Like light years ahead. Cause like, you know, the boys, the biggest thing I have to use to get on them is like, don't just, don't just be strong. And like the women, like they're not that way. And when, if they, and if the girl is strong to watch along out. with that, you watch out. It is this phenomenon. Don't, don't be surprised if 516 goes down to a female. Oh, I, I hope so. <laughs> be awesome. I legitimately be am awesome? hoping. Yes. <laughs> be like, yeah. I, that would be incredible. Oh, I, then I, you can say, it's like, up. Oh, yeah. This is one sport women dominate the guys. Yeah, I, I hope so. Sorry, I, boys. <laughs> I want to see it come to pass. I want to see oh, it come to pass. <laughs> I think I'll bet on that one. So um, if people can support you, uh, it, well, can we start buying stuff from your... Yeah, we're going to... Um, so I ordered like 15,000 weight bolts. Mm -hmm. So they're, they've been discontinued. There's no more at Climb Tech. Mm -hmm. So I ordered 15,000 of them. Uh, they're supposed to be here in September. Nice. So... September, October will be the kind of the launch when I open it up. Nice. And then are you going to be doing manufacturing too as well eventually at some point in time or mainly distribution? Uh, well, I have a, um, he's a very close friend, family friend now. Uh, he's uh, a guy in Taiwan. Okay, nice. He's been doing a lot of our industrial safety equipment. Nice. He's been making the wave bowls for us. Nice. Um, he does the Muncie hooks. Oh. Um, very trusted. That's all he does is safety equipment. He's not doesn't no, do anything else. No, he doesn't do anything else. Uh, That's good. Really good man. I've taken his kids climbing, um, and uh, I trust him. And he'll be making my equipment in Taiwan. Beautiful. I'm excited about yeah. this. I don't do I don't do anything in China because I just can't trust the manufacturing. No, I get that. I mean, it's a common problem across the board. Yeah. Um, and there's issues in Taiwan too, but. This guy's in the industrial safety, so you can't mess around with that equipment. So. No, 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 yeah, that makes sense. He's very high end precision. So, so in September, we should be able to buy gear, bolts, September whatever you want, yeah. merch, whatever, whatever you're selling on the internet. Yeah, there'll be like an ad in a magazine or something. Something beautiful. Well, cool. You'll know. You'll oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> dude, if you have an opening party, you let me know. I will be here in a heartbeat. I will yeah. be here in a heartbeat. Um, okay. Outside of that, how can people find, if you want people to, how can people find you online, support you, get in contact with you? The website uh, should be up and running. Um, so I got the domain, 
I uh, got the LLC. Um, I got mm-hmm. my, you know, my federal ID number. Mm-hmm. Um, so it should be up hopefully in a couple months. I should maybe have something on a website. Okay. Just an introduction website. And what is the website going to be? What is the domain? It's, it's sportbolting.com. Sportbolting.com. Perfect. Yeah. That will be in the show notes. Yeah. Perfect. And anybody you want to give a shout out to say thank you to hello. Hi mom, whatever. Uh, well, my daughter, Yasmin, yeah. she's probably going to be listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife, Josie, I got an amazing wife. She's, yeah. You got a beautiful family, yeah, man. She's a great lady. So supportive. So she's psyched. Yeah. And just to, well, the whole climbing, all my friends in the climbing community and stuff that, you know, I've had my back. I got a lot of climbing friends, a lot of climbing friends. They're just good yeah. people. Yeah. All my peeps. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for taking a big portion of your day and doing this with me. And it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I look forward to having more conversations with you future. I definitely want to do a follow up after the business is open for a little while. And I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just stoked, man. I'm very stoked for you. And I'm very stoked to be a part of in any part of this journey that I can help you with. I want to be involved. All right. All right, friends and enemies, lovers and haters. It is a wrap. That was the episode with Carl. The man is a great dude. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoyed a little bit of history and understanding that no matter where you come from, what your background is, you can make an impact in the communities that mean the most to you. So if you've got a vision, you've got a dream, make it happen. I'm here to help. The rest of your community is here to help. Rock climbing and whatever it is that you're into If it's something that sparks joy in you and sparks joy in others, then I got your back. And remember, if whatever you're doing, if you're not suffering for it, you're not bleeding for it, is it really worth it at all? Because you got to ask yourself, if there's not a little bit of suffering, are you really sending?